So we're on to a new series called Unshakable, and the idea or the concept behind the series is we're coming into a new way of living, man. We've got to come to a place in our spiritual life, in our life with God, where we are unshakable, where regardless of what hits, right, if there's a pandemic, maybe there's a spiritual issue and upsettling in your life, maybe there's a relational issue that you're feeling tension in your marriage or maybe tension with another person. Whatever it is, we've got to come to a place in our lives that we are absolutely, absolutely unshakable. Now I can tell you firsthand, this hit me head on Tuesday. I was over there picking up a piece of plywood and I heard a pop in my arm. And as Lori de- described, it does sound like stalks of celery, fresh celery, just snapping in two. That's what it sounded like as I picked up that plywood in my arm and I felt it and I knew oh, that's not good. And if you're unshakable, you recognize that that's not going to derail the plan and purpose of God for your life. Although your mind will run crazy thinking, what if I have to have surgery and how long could the surgery be? And by the way, this is Corona season. So what happens if I have a surgery during Corona season, get infected and have to go to the hospital, be put on an intubator? Who's gonna take care of my family? You gotta understand, there's reason for all kinds of craziness to run through your mind the moment a speed bump happens. But if you're unshakable, you figure out, you understand how to work through those issues. You figure out the faith that's required to press through those concepts and to press through those issues. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to through 26b or the second part of verse 26 and 27. But first, let me make this bold statement that every step towards God is a step towards freedom. Everything that we do in life where we make a positive step towards God, it is a step towards our eventual freedom. Whether we understand it or not, whether we're recognizing it or not, when we, when we focus our attention and take positive steps towards Jesus, whether that's reading your Bible more, whether that's praying more, whether that's expanding your giving, whether that's being a servant in God's house and in God's family, whether that's caring for your neighbors, however that looks to you, regardless of what it is to take a step towards him, maybe it's just listening to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit. But when we do, it inevitably leads to freedom, to freedom. First Corinthians chapter nine says this, I do not fight like I'm beating the air. No, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. You know, sometimes it's real easy, as Paul's saying here, to preach to others what we should do, how we should live. We know people like that in our life. They're constantly telling us how life should be and what we should do with our decisions and the decisions that we should make for our family. And Paul said, listen, before I ever give anyone my solid advice, I'm going to train like a fighter. I'm not gonna just beat the air. I'm gonna actually put my body under subjection. I'm gonna tell my body how it's going to react spiritually, emotionally, physically to the world around me. I'm going to make it my slave so that when I preach to others, they can't come back to me and say, Paul, you're not living up to your very own standard. This is what it is to be unshakable. A few years ago, there was a fight, a big fight. People paid a lot of money for this fight. Mayweather versus McGregor. How many people remember the the lead up to that about two and a half years ago? Man, it was a big deal. Here we have an all-star boxer, man. He's all time and he's gonna take on one of the best MMA fighters literally of all time. And they're gonna get in a ring and duke it out. We're gonna see who's the best fighter. There was lots of fanfare. 
There was lots of promotion. There were lots of words exchanged. In fact, one of the fighters, McGregor, man, he ran his mouth more than anybody I have ever met, seen, heard in my life. This guy could not say a positive thing about his opponent, kept running him down. But when they got in the ring, as the great philosopher Mike Tyson has always put it, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And Colin McGregor had a plan and it didn't work out too well when Floyd Mayweather punched him in the face repeatedly and his plan broke down. The question is, as we all fight in life, as we all fight through tragedy and struggle and trial, as we all fight to achieve the dream that God's put in our heart, what are you fighting for? That's question number one. And the second question you have to ask yourself is, how's your training going? You're gonna come up to a battle someday, eventually, a big thug's gonna stand in your way and you are going to have to reconcile. What are you fighting for and how well was your training in days past? That fight, that big pay-per-view extravaganza didn't happen just on that Saturday night when those two fighters met. That fight happened in training, in preparation. That fight happened because there was a want to in the heart of both men to stand toe to toe to trade blows, but one man won because his training is impeccable. His training is consistent. His training is every single day. He is without doubt unshakable. What if the big fight were today? Question number three. What if today were the day you had to face your Goliath? What if today were the day you had to face your opponent? How would you fare in that fight? As Paul said, I don't train, I don't train just for words sake. I don't train just because it looks good on paper. I don't train just cause, just so I can tell you what to do and how to lead your life. I train with everything I have. I make my body a slave to my will because he knew there was a fight coming. And in all of our lives, eventually there's a fight. If you're unshakable, if you're unshakable, you won't know how or when to attack, you'll just be prepared for any blow that would come your way. You'll know when and how to defend rather than to go on the offense. See, too many people think that the idea of being unshakable means you know when to run down hell and you storm hell with a water pistol and you think somehow that proves how unshakable your spiritual nature is and the reality is a good fighter knows good defense outweighs a great offense any day. A good fighter knows that counter punches are what lay you on the mat. A good fighter knows that when your opponent is overly aggressive, that's the moment, the key moment to defend yourself, to put your guard up, but then to attack strategically. If you're really unshakable, you know how to use the momentum of the fight to move you towards victory. See, life favors fighters and not fakers. So often in life, we see people swinging away. Man, they're wildly punching at an adversary and they look tough on the outside and they look as though they're winners because their stride and their talk is so big. In fact, Colin McGregor used to walk out. Of, I, I wish my arms were hurt because I'd do it perfectly, but ooh, I'm gonna knock something over. But he'd walk out in these press conferences, big old chest, just throwing his arms down the aisle away. He looked like a fighter. He looked like someone who was ready to take on his opponent. Unfortunately, his training proved otherwise. He was a faker. When he walked up to those press conferences and he walked up to the microphone and he waxed eloquent for at least 30 to 40 minutes, doing nothing but tearing down his opponent, 
Everything he was doing was setting himself up for a great defeat because he looked like a fighter, but he was nothing more than a faker. Life favors fighters, not fakers. You have to know when and how to throw that strategic punch. When proper training is neglected, there's always collateral damage. In Colin McGregor's life and in the life of this fight, his, his whole career saw backlash because his training suffered in that fight. See, no principled believer, no principled believer understands that they can't hurt those closest to them. If you're honestly principled in your beliefs, you know that those closest to you, you could hurt at any given moment. There could be collateral damage if your training isn't on par, it isn't up to snuff. In fact, that's what Paul was trying to push against when he said, listen, I don't do this. I don't buffet my body. I don't put my body into subjection and make it a slave. I don't do these things because I'm just trying to talk good. I do these things because I'm trying to lead by example. And the reason that he used these words is he was prepared for the moment that collateral damage could be expended if and when things didn't go the way he saw them. In fact, he saw in the life of some of his young, of his young uh, uh, the kids he was tutoring, there was some fights in between the group and this one was against that one and eventually he pulled one close and said, you're my boy because he was true to the principles of the fight that Paul was laying out. Non-principled believers don't understand that they could cause severe collateral damage if they're not ready for the fight, if they're not training specifically. This is all my introduction for the series, by the way, but I wanna give you another story. In 1991, Mike Tyson accidentally knocked out his sparring partner. He was getting rough in his training and he's doing everything he can to prepare for that next upcoming fight. And he's getting harder and stronger with every punch. And I don't know if you've seen it lately, but there's a video on YouTube right now. Mike Tyson's in his fifties and he's, he's literally training for another fight. And the dude looks just terrifying. I mean, he's hitting punches that are like, man, he'll knock you in half with that thing. But this was young Mike Tyson, not old Mike Tyson. This was Mike Tyson before he, you know, all the fights Mike Tyson's been in, he's the one who screwed up his face the most. You ever seen that stupid tattoo? Anyway, whatever. It's okay. You can laugh. It's church. I'm not being negative. That's a dumb tattoo. But Mike, and I don't ever want to fight Mike Tyson. Like, hey, it's a great tattoo, Mike. If you ever hear this, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it but it's ugly. So no one has a lower back tattoo on their face, right? Is that just me? Anyway, 1991, Mike Tyson accidentally knocks out his training partner. Collateral damage because he just lets go and lets it rip. Can't knock out your training partners. You can't knock out who you're sparring with. You can't get involved in, in, in the training and just take it out on the people that are closest to you. You've got to know when and how to hold those punches. So what are you talking about, pastor? What are you talking about fighting so much? You in a fighting mood? No. No, but the reality is of life, there's always going to be opportunity for us to lay it on the line, to fight with everything that we have. Each new season gives us new opportunities and new challenges. As we go back to normal, we're gonna have new challenges. You know that boss that you had when you left your work to work from home, that boss that you had that didn't like you? that didn't wanna put up with you, that didn't schedule you like you needed them to, they're still the boss. You know that spouse that you had that you, know, you didn't exactly get along but now the fear weighs on the house and you're just tiptoeing around each other and things seem to be working out. All those issues that you had with your spouse before COVID-19 are gonna come up again eventually. Those kids that 
that, man, that teacher lied to you and said they were great to have in class and now you're finding out your child's the problem child. That child is still the problem child after COVID-19. As we get back to life as normal, our problems don't just disappear, but if we're unshakable, we can go at them head on with a principled manner. Summer's almost here. Eventually fall is coming. Kids are out of school. Things are settling down a little bit. We'll pick up new routines and we'll, we'll pick up new ways of doing things, new principled ways of living. My question is, this is your training ground. What are you preparing for in the next season? Not that we're anticipating negativity, but we need to be prepared for what could be thrown our way. I saw so many people on social media and people I know personally crumble over COVID-19. I mean, literally crumble. The moment the government said, shut your life up, pack it up in a box and don't leave your home, they were ready to give up every single right and privilege they had. They weren't unshakable. I'm not saying you need to knock the edicts of the government. I'm saying, listen, be confident in who you are. Be confident in the God that you serve. Be confident in knowing that he has, as that song said, he is before you, he is behind you, he is there with you all around you, that we don't have to worry that we're left alone, even in the midst of a pandemic. There's an eternal drive for change that's God-given. There's little steps that we take throughout life to better ourselves. In fact, it's said this way in scripture, I press towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Those of you that are aware, what does that mean? Well, there's a mark of a high calling. There's an ultimate goal that we're all called to. There's an ultimate destiny. There's an ultimate dream that God's calling us to, but we press towards the mark in that high calling. There's a mark, there's a moment, there's a next step that we have to press towards in your preparation for the high calling that God's called you to. Are you taking advantage of the next step of the next mark? See, until you're dead, until they bury dirt, uh, throw dirt on your dead and buried body, until there's life sucked out of you, there's a dream of God that's inspired on your, in your heart. And you can see to it that that dream comes to reality, but you can't do it sitting on the couch. You can't do it by not activating that dream. You can't do it by not walking towards your future and your goal in Christ Jesus. You can't do it by sitting passively by and allowing life to just happen around you. I press towards the mark, the next step in the high calling that God's called me to. What's your next step? Plot it out, lie it out. Some of you, it might be as simple as taking a class. Maybe God's called you and you know he's called you to be a lawyer, but you don't have an education. Well, the first step's pretty simple. Get the degree so that you can be who he's called you to be. Maybe God's called you to be the best mom in the world. You're gonna raise amazing children. Get some books on how to raise kids. Get around moms who have already done it and you like how their kids turned out, right? Don't get around some mom whose kids are jerks and think yours are gonna turn out to be great. Get around some moms whose kids you love, you adore, that you think they're great human beings and better than that, they're great adults and find out what that mom did to produce those children. Take steps towards the high calling in Christ Jesus. Principled believers often start by training underneath their own strength and eventually you learn that God does best with our weaknesses. In fact, we know that he says in scripture, by him, by, in, in my weakness, by him I am made strong. That in my weakness, in my deficiencies, that's where my strength comes from. Principled believers understand and sometimes start out this whole training by doing what they're strongest in. 
what they're good at, because it feels good to accomplish something. But it's hard when we have to wait on the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to take our negativity, to take our negativity, the things in our life that are broken, the things that are life or that are messed up, and to build on those till they become our strength. Now, my two hands are kind of goofy right now, so bear with me. But we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? And if your strengths are way up here and your weaknesses are down here and you've never worked on them, that's an uneven structure. And guess what happens over time? That structure is easily toppled. That's why Jesus gives us the option. He says, I can be made strong where you're weak. If you allow me to, I can raise those weaknesses to the level of your strengths and you'll be a much more even person. Principled believers, and they train for and understand that God wants to produce, that Jesus wants to produce an outcome in their life. Listen, if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter four and verse 16. Principle number one is that you're driven. We're gonna learn this principle straight from the life of Jesus. Now, this might be a very familiar scripture for many of you. It's early on in the life of Christ. He's kind of gotten the idea, okay, I've gotten a job to do. I've got to set out and do this job that God called me to. He's called me to be Messiah. He's called me to redeem the world back to him. So I've got to set out and do what he's called me to do. Luke chapter four and verse 16. And to do this, this is what happened. Jesus, he went to Nazareth, his hometown, uh, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue. He went to church, just like we are, as it was his custom. And he stood up to read as part of their church services, the older, the, 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 the younger men, older as being bar mitzvah would come and read portions of the scripture. He stood up to read and it would have been his time to read because he would have been away for a while. And the way they welcomed new people or old people back home in the synagogue was to allow them to read the scriptures. He would read and then verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now this is all on him. He finds his specific place where he wants to read from. And in verse 18, he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is a anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release those that are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled the scroll up. He gave it back to the attendant. He sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him because they're waiting for him to explain what he just read as would have been their custom. And Jesus has a very short statement here in verse 21. And he began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. This is a heavy messianic prophecy. They were waiting. These people were waiting for their gift from God, their leader from heaven to come to finally fulfill the messianic prophecy, to be the leader that they had been waiting for for generations and generations. Many of them hoped that this Messiah would cause an upruling in the, the Roman communities, that the Jewish people would finally be free from Rome and the rule of Rome, and they would have their own king. And Jesus comes in and he reads this scripture in verse 18, very specific to the messianic prophecy. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's making a declaration. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I know what I'm here for. Because he's anointed me, he's given me a mission and a purpose to preach the good news to the poor. Now you might settle it right there and say, look, it's all about those who are less fortunate than us. It's not at all how that scripture has been translated. It's been translated poorly for most of our lives and most of us have heard poor sermons delivered on it. It's the idea that those who are poor, those who are less dead, who feel marginalized, who feel put off, who don't feel like they fit the mold, who feel like there's more to life, those, 
He's come to preach this good news, this gospel message to those who couldn't make it happen on their own power, on their own will, those those whose deficits were so big that they needed God's help to raise them. I've come to preach the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, those who feel bound by fear, anxiety, those who feel bound in their own skin, they just can't seem to get out and let who they are really shine, those who are prisoners to a system, those who are prisoners to a way of being that they're told they must morph into. I've come to give freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind. I wish this was just about physical healing. It'd make it so much easier. But most of us see life through a vision or through an occupation that is totally contrary to what God would have us see it through, that we are supposed to see all of life through the shadow of who Jesus Christ is, that the entirety of our existence should be forced through the prism of Jesus, that we should see life based on his view and his vantage point. To release the oppressed, those who are pushed down, those who are oppressed by sickness, those who are oppressed by ruling classes, those who are oppressed by this opinion or that opinion, he's come to set you free, to proclaim, and this is my favorite line in it, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, or as it says in your translation, to proclaim the year of Jubilee. That he came, this prophetic announcement, Jubilee, the 49th year, The 49th year in the Jewish calendar, Jubilee was when every debt was set to right. Any debt that you had against your brother was automatically forgiven. All lands that were exchanged went back to their original families and original owners. Wouldn't it be nice, right? Today, credit card company calls you up. Hey, you know that massive debt you racked up a few years ago? Yeah, it's gone, it's good. Hey, that mortgage that you've been holding on to, well, based on the new laws of the land, we've got to erase it. In fact, what Jubilee was, was the receipt that what you have has been paid for by Jewish law. What Jesus was simply saying was that when he entered the scene, he became the receipt that what we are trying to pay for by our own will and by our own effort has already been paid for in the Messiah. Most of us can't even fathom the ideas of the first few lines of the promise here, that he came to recover those who were blind, help you see life differently, that he came to release the oppressed, that he came to preach, and that he came to speak specifically those who are poor and who can't make life happen on their own. And when you get to the idea of the acceptable year of the Lord, that Jubilee happens and is fulfilled in Christ, most of us throw it off and say, I can't even get there. I can't even get there. Look at all, look at all that he's promised. Look at all this before us. I can't even get there. This is where your fight becomes real. This is where your training takes real form and real purpose and real courage. How often are you getting up every morning and saying, I am free. I used to be a prisoner, but he's preached recovery of sight to the blind. I see clearly. How many of you get up every morning and proclaim to yourself, I was oppressed, but now I'm released. How many of you get up every morning and say, today is the day that I quit trying to pay for what God has already made a way for. Today is the day I live in that sense of jubilee, all debts being paid, the receipts in hand, everything that I owed God, everything that I owed my brother or sister, any offense that I caused against another person, it's all been paid for at the cross. What Jesus is simply saying is, when are you gonna stop living in yesteryear? When are you going to stop living your life based on who you were and start living your life based on who he's called you to be? 
As I said at the outset, every step towards God is a step towards freedom. This is who Jesus said that he was. The first proclamation of his ministry, he stood before a church like ours. He noted the messianic prophecies and he said, I've come to fulfill every one of these scriptures in your hearing. Today, it's been fulfilled. That same proclamation is being made today if you're listening. Today, it's been fulfilled. You are free. There is hope. If you are poor in spirit, if you are poor economically, if you are poor in any way, shape, or form, he's come to bring provision. If you need to be let loose from bondage and chains, you can be let loose. If you understand correctly that God has already paid for every debt you would ever owe, it's already been paid for, the receipt's in hand. It's the year of Jubilee. All debts are wiped away. All land is given back to its rightful owner, you have a placement in God's kingdom. That's where we start as principled fighters. That's the footwork that every fighter needs to go through the battle. I couldn't get over the issues in my arm just because I'm a pastor and say, well, he has a lot of faith because he's a pastor. No, I have to have that sure footing that this scripture is true. It's the year of Jubilee in my life. Everything that I need to pay for has already been paid for, that God set it right in my life today, here, now. The moment I heard the snap, I knew it was healed. I didn't have to check with a doctor. I didn't have to have an MRI to know my, my arm is healed. Now my mind went crazy because that's where the battle is and it wanted to tell me all the negative things that could happen because of the season we're in as a country, because of how bad my injuries were before. My mind went spiraling out of control and eventually I had to get in the ring with my own thoughts and beat them into submission. As Paul said, I will make my body a slave. Every day we have the right to take our thoughts captive to tell our thoughts, they will line up with the word of God. Only two things can keep you from claiming, from claiming back your rightful property. One is ignorance. The second is an unwillingness to claim what's already been given to you. There's only two reasons. If you leave this service, if you turn off this live broadcast and you don't get what God said is yours, the promise that he's put in front of you, there's only two reasons. You are ignorant and some willfully ignorant or you are unwilling to take up what he's given you. We don't have any other place to live in, right? We're not gonna, we're not gonna debate this for years. Did he mean this or did he mean that? There's too scriptural proof to understand that Jesus Christ laid before us an open door where we don't have to pay for anymore what society, what religion, what church, what our parents have told us we have to pay for, that we can finally come, have sure footing and know our stance is perfect in him, that I've got my sure footing. I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Jesus sounded the trumpet. He proclaims a year of God's permanent jubilee that we are forgiven every debt that would come into our life. Every generation must be set free. There are no grandchildren in God. He doesn't have grandchildren. He has kids. He has firstborn children. He has firstborn children. You don't get to be a child of God or a grandchild of God or part of God's family because your parents were. You don't get to be a Christian because you went to church a few times. You don't get to be a Christian because you're watching live online. You are of Christ's family because you are of the firstborn. You've accepted who Jesus is. You've come to the throne room of God and you've said, God, I'll give it to you. Everything I have, I'll give it over because I can't do this on my own. 
Again, as I said before, this is why we will never shy away from throwing money, tons of money at youth, at kids, at all kinds of different things to enhance our atmosphere, to enhance our ability to preach the gospel. We won't, we won't shy away from spending money on new camera systems so we can reach more people online. We won't shy away from these things because someone out there in this generation needs to hear this message. Someone out there that you know that you're connected to is going to go to hell unless someone says there's a different way. They need to hear it. They need to know it. And not that they're going to hell out of punishment, just a wrong choice. They haven't understood. They haven't understood the plan of God for their life. They haven't understood that Jesus made full payment for all the sins that they've occurred over a lifetime, that Jesus made full payment, that regardless of what they've done and who they hurt and how often they hurt them, that Jesus made the way, that Jubilee happened, that all debts were forgiven and they can learn to live in the promises that we have. As principled believers, we must be driven to fight for what Jesus has already accomplished. Luke chapter eight and verse 36, our last scripture for today. It says that Jesus came for this reason, to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible is very clear, the devil came to steal, kill and destroy. To steal, kill and destroy. As a Christian, you are blood bought, right? You are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ that if you die today, heaven is your home. What does the scripture mean to someone who's a Christian? If he came to steal, kill, and destroy, what is he stealing? He can't steal anything away from you that scripture hasn't already mandated that he has to bring back seven times over. The Bible says you catch a thief, he must repay seven times what he stole plus the contents of his home. Listen, that's scripture, that's Bible. So if you see the enemy stealing from you, you have every right to demand back what has been stolen multiplied over seven times. He can't steal from you. If you are a born again, believing Christian, he can't kill you. This life is temporary. If it were to end tomorrow, you find heaven is your home. You live in eternity with Jesus and he can't destroy you because he doesn't have right to your soul. So what does it mean when we read that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He first comes to steal away our effectiveness. Our effectiveness as believers. Are we effective in the gospel that we're preaching? Has our training lived up to our mouth? He comes to kill. He comes to kill relationships that you're supposed to have influence in. He comes to divide and separate people where you're supposed to speak into their life because of all the people on this planet, you're the one that they'll listen to. You're the one that they'll connect with. You're the one they'll sit down and have coffee with. You're the one they'll meet eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee with and have a real heart to heart. But if that relationship severs, if he kills the relationship, he separates them from ever, forever. And he comes to destroy ultimately the body of Christ to strip us away from the promises that Jesus has set before us. Today, I have to ask you a real simple question. Are you unshakable? Today, if, if you had to fight the prize fight of your life, if today was your Mayweather and McGregor fight, could you stand toe to toe? If today your Goliath faced you down, could you stand up for the fight? Are you unshakable? Or are you waiting for a moment in time to just grow a little stronger? Are you waiting for the next season to get a little bigger? Are you waiting for that next moment to finally appropriate the promises of God to your life? You can change that whole mess and attitude today and say, nope, Jesus, it's mine. No matter how much it hurts, right? No one's saying life doesn't hurt. No one's saying life isn't real. No one's saying there isn't a real devil again who would kill you with a hangnail if he could. But the fact is, 
that you have right to the promises of God. You have right not to deny that something happened, but to deny its right to affect you. You don't, you don't, we don't deny reality. There's a real virus out there. I deny its right to have place in my life. I deny the right of this thing to derail the plan and purpose of God for my life, for this church, for this community. We don't deny things. We deny their right to take over. Today, I want to encourage you as we pray. Learn to fight. Life's a battle at times. Learn to fight. Life can be difficult at times. Learn to fight. Life can be difficult and trying. And remember that our battle isn't flesh and blood, but it's powers and principalities in the air. It's those demonic forces that want to take you out. It's the devil himself who'll creep up on you and tag you as who God knows what if he gets the opportunity. But you serve a God who's greater. You serve a God who's around you, who surrounds you. Man, I can't get the song out of my head. Who's just all over you. And I didn't like it before she played it. 